Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today and, as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends, your family, and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest, Dr. Cindy McGovern, is a top-rated speaker, best-selling author, and consultant, and has earned a reputation, let's say, as the first lady of sales. And she is on a mission to empower people and companies to get what they want through sales. What she refers to as that icky word that makes people cringe. How did she learn to embrace that dreaded activity? Well, after years of consulting companies and helping them grow their businesses, she had an epiphany. Every job really is a sales job and every person is a salesperson. Throughout her career as a college professor, a salesperson and a consultant, Dr. Cindy realized that people can get more of what they want in work and in life by using the skills of sales professionals. She is in fact a doctor with her master's in communication and doctorate in organizational communication with an emphasis on organizational leadership and ethics. Today, she focuses on bringing companies and people together to grow their businesses and get what they want in life and in work. Because, believe it or not, you were born with sales skills, and Dr. Cindy and I are going to dig into that conversation in a big way. Had a blast having this conversation with Dr. Cindy. Listen in, enjoy. Dr. Cindy McGovern, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Thanks for joining me. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, I always am modest with my audience. You know, I totally dropped the ball in this, you know, in our first initial part of my conversation with Dr. Cindy here and I, my SD card glitched and I forgot to push some buttons and a total rookie mistake. So, uh, Dr. Cindy, I apologize for that. And, you know, let's talk about the fact that we're just meeting for the first time. You're in San Francisco. I'm in Vancouver. 
two of the most beautiful cities in the world. Uh, similar weather, and here we are today. And you know, for my audience and for me, because we have just met, which is really cool. I love to meet new people. What the heck do you do, Dr. Cindy? <laughs> I work with companies and individuals to help them grow their business, but more importantly, use sales skills to get what they want at work and in life. And you're obviously pretty passionate about it because you've written a book about it. <laughs> yes. I really want to take sales out of the boardroom and put it in the classroom. I think it's something that should have been taught in high school. And I want to help people to realize that they do this well all day, every day, but they can do it more purposefully and it's going to actually pay really big dividends. So tell me about the title of your book, Sell Yourself. So this book came out of sort of the last few years and seeing people go through transitions and change and whether you changed your job, the world changed around you. A lot of people rebranded. There was a great resignation, a great remorse and a great reset. I believe the next thing is the great rebrand where people are really taking themselves and saying, okay, this is how I want to be known. This is my legacy, whether it's your leadership legacy or your entrepreneurial legacy. And the part they're forgetting is they have to sell as part of that. And I want to be able to kind of de-ickify sales mm -hmm. to do that more purposefully. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. And I got the title of the book right away. And what's interesting is having been on the stage many times with primarily real estate investors and small business owners or individuals who want to be entrepreneurial or real estate investors who want to raise capital, you know, we're saying to them, you know, there's certain skills you have to develop. You have to have the ability to, you know, sell yourself, to create a brand. And they're going, hold on. And, you know, like I say, generally half the room goes quiet, goes, nah, that whole sell thing doesn't work for me. Uh, I'm sure you've uh, come across that in, in your travels many times. All day, every day, honestly, because I work with a lot of people who would not consider themselves sales people. And what's funny is I used to be one of those people. I never wanted to be in sales. I had this horrible vision in my mind of, you know, it's this pushy, manipulative salesperson, like very, very one-sided. And that's not sales at all. That is manipulation. And so what we have to recognize is we're all selling every day. You're probably just not calling it sales. You're calling it convincing. You might be calling it helping. It's still sales. There is some sort of transactional component to any kind of an exchange. You know, I as I'm talking to you and I'm thinking about that, I literally know people that sell nothing. Okay. They don't have a product. They don't have a service but they're just brilliant at being who they are. And I, I, if they had something to sell, I would buy it from them. Right. But, you know, like, are you sure? You, can I give you some money? It was like, and it's not just about that. The point is, is that, you know, there's a lot to be said about selling yourself in terms of relationship building. You know, we talk to real estate investors and entrepreneurs, you know, building a power team, creating relationships with your team. Even being a great leader takes selling yourself. They have to buy into your vision. They have to buy into your, I guess, your philosophy of business, your philosophy, uh, perhaps even of life and culture and all those things. That's selling. And that's what people Absolutely. don't understand that they're doing. They just don't call it sales. Right. And, and it's very funny you say that because there, there's the whole epilogue is about your leadership legacy. And, and I do believe that. And people forget you're selling that vision. You're selling the culture. When someone comes to interview with you or you're interviewing a potential investor, there's a sales transaction happening there on both sides, by the way. And you've got to know what your end game is. You've got to know what facets of your brand you want to elevate so you can convince them that you're a good investment, 
that you're going to be a good steward of this, that they can trust you. You've got to ask for the business. You've got to follow through and follow up. These are all parts of a sales process, but we don't break it down that way. We think of it as rapport building or relationship building. It is 100% a sales transaction. Okay, so you were inspired to do this over the past few years, given I think what sounds like, and I'm not saying this is true, it just sounded like it, is that through the shift of what's happened with the pandemic and COVID, uh, people reinventing themselves, having to do things differently, some going back to work, leaving a job. But you said something I wanted, I, I want to go back. It was, a, it was a comment you made or a it was a reset or no, something about remorse. And I don't remember, what was that? I, I had not heard that one and I thought I'd heard them all. Do, can yeah, you remember? So yeah. For sure. So there was a whole piece where it was the great resignation where yes. millions, millions of people. And then there was the great remorse was what they were calling it because it was, everybody went, oh my gosh, what did I just do? Or, oh, well, maybe I, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> maybe I should go back. And then it was the reset. It was like, okay, well, this is where it is now. Let's figure this out. But as the world is sort of figuring out what the next step is, there is a rebranding component. Whether you moved or not, there is a rebrand because everybody you're talking to, you're engaging with, teams are hybrid now or completely virtual. People have moved physical locations. There's so many things that are different. We're selling ourselves differently. And, it, and it's very funny because we have like companies that go through mergers and acquisitions and things like that, and you're combining teams. You are now selling yourself to those teammates, but you don't think about it that way. And that's exactly what you're trying to do. You're trying to gain their trust. No sale ever happens without trust. That's literally what you're selling. Well, you know, with uh, I'll take a little bit of liberty with uh, the word trust. I do a segment called the four dimensions of trust. And, uh, you know, and it's it's really basic. You know, it's it's are you telling the truth? You know, are you reliable? Are you competent? And do you care? And each one of those segments I speak to, right? And you can you could be telling the truth, you could be reliable, you could be competent, but if I call it the give a shit factor, if you don't care, you're out. There's there's components of all of that that break down trust in a really interesting way. And I, I shine a light on it because it's so important. And part of that, I I think, anyways, the selling psychology is is that the if you're entering the conversation in the same values as the person you're talking to, if you're really entering where they are, that right away means that you're listening and that there's a degree of trust and rapport that you can build within that. that that's huge. And, and I completely agree with all four of those, by the way, because that's exactly what happens. But I find that so many people confuse rapport and trust. Mm -hmm. You know, rapport is I like you. I can hang out with you. We could really have lots of business conversations. I'm still not going to invest. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't mean I trust you. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's because one of those components is missing. Sure. And I think that's where your brand really comes into play is what haven't you sold them on then? You know, if they're not thinking you're competent, you haven't sold that piece of your brand. If they're not thinking that you care, you haven't sold that piece of your brand. And that's where you're you're stepping in your own way. You know, it's interesting, Dr. Cindy, that as we sit here, and this is for me, you know, we went from literally 60 or 70 live events where we're on stage in front of uh, a couple hundred, a few hundred to a thousand or whatever the number is, but we're on live events, live stages. And of course, a, a number of things happened when COVID hit. 
number one, we had to pivot and readjust the business model. Secondly, we have a national community of real estate investors and entrepreneurs right across Canada, short, literally shoreline to shoreline. But now we were having to meet and create a virtual world. Now, what's interesting about all of this is how much resistance initially there was to this Zoom thing or you know Microsoft Teams and oh my gosh, and it's clunky and it's this and it's that. Here's what I've noticed, and I want you to, to kind of give your comments on this. Those individuals who are progressive, who sell themselves, who really understand that this is what is. I don't have to necessarily like it. I don't have to, you know, I can say it's not what I want it to be, but it is what is. And that is, we have this world of Zoom. Now, I know that you've been on many interviews and many podcasts, I'm sure, that, you know, you, you wonder, or that you've hosted even. And you go and you have somebody on there and you're going, what the hell? You know, you know, you're going to be interviewed. You know, I'm looking <laughs> at you. You're well lit. You've got, you know, you've, you've got your background set up. Your lighting's there. <laughs> all of the stuff that matters. You know, I'm in my office, which is now, of course, virtual, well lit, microphones, all of the things that I need. And I'm going, this is part of me earning credibility with my audience. Now, that audience of one or a thousand doesn't really matter. How I show up matters. And the environment I create for people to view and listen to me matters, which is exactly what you've done on your side. Now, the reason I ask is because you are, you know, you wrote the book. And how much of that do you see in, in, in the block that people face in going, you guys, just get it. You, you're going to be on camera. You know, you've, you've got to set yourself up to look good, to be good, to have a brand. Okay, so I've talked enough. Give me your thoughts. So it, it's so funny that you say that because that's one of the things as a business coach, I'm often coaching people on. It's like, just because we're in 2D, I can still see that you're in sweatshirt and sweatpants. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I can still see you. And, and it's very funny because a client of mine asked me earlier this week, she's like, you're always put together. And I'm like, because I'm going to work today. Yeah. I'm always Dr. Cindy because I'm going to work today. It doesn't mean I'm not going to wear jeans tomorrow on a Saturday or something, but it's you're selling that credibility. Like you said, your background is crafted. You created this brand that you want people to buy because you want them to trust that it is professional, that it is going to deliver good information. And we are a multi-sensory community, truly. And I talk in the book about selling to the five senses. Mm. Five, you have five senses. You can go into a restaurant. If it looks good, but doesn't smell good, you're not going to eat there. So we have to recognize that even if the information's amazing and the packaging isn't so good. It affects your credibility. It affects the trust. So how do we support, you know, people or where can we go with the conversation? Because, you know, you've got the super salesmen that are out there going, yeah, no, that's what I do. I do. I love to do. You know, you got realtors who are fantastic. And by the way, you've got realtors that are not so fantastic and you actually want to coach them maybe around a little bit of how they could improve. That aside, you know, where do we go with the individuals? Because I think that's the important conversation is really with those people that don't realize that whether you have a you know, a product or a service to sell, you have to be looking at what you're doing as selling. And I, and, and to be honest with you, I don't care if you're a postal worker. I mean, at the end of the day, how do you want to show up in the world? You know, what is the legacy you want to leave literally and recognizing that people are, are having an impression of you already. 
And it's your job to make sure it's the one you want them to have. And so you have to sell that vision. And I think this is the part where people don't necessarily think about it. They're like, well, I'm not a celebrity or something, or I'm not on, on social media, so I don't need a brand. You have one already. Mm-hmm. You're something isn't what you want people to think of you. You're selling to your family, you're selling to your kids, you're selling to your neighbors. And what I think people don't see, and especially those that don't consider themselves sales people, like mm-hmm. the realtor or, or, or that kind of thing, they may have to actually be a little bit more intentional about that brand and elevating, I call them the facets of your brand. We all have superpowers. We all are multifaceted. We have different interests. We have different talents. If you want people to recognize you as a capable, competent, really good worker that is eligible to create a bigger role for themselves and can take more responsibility, if you are a person that you are trying to brand yourself as someone that I can trust with my money, then you're going to help me get a good return on the investment. I need to see that in everything you do. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the nine to five. It's in... It is you embodying and living your brand because I am buying not just that facet of you. I'm buying all the facets. So there's a lot of places I'd like to go. I hope to go in this conversation because I think it's a, it's an interesting conversation, you know, because you're not talking about a corporate brand necessarily, although you could be, you're really talking about an individual's brand. And most people don't think in those terms. And, you know, something that you said that I'm a big believer in is understanding your superpower. And when you talk to people and I've actually done a podcast. I think Stephanie, my wife and I did a podcast on, you know, what's your superpower and understanding what it is. And if you don't know it, ask your friends because they know it. You know, that, you know, it's 100%. like somebody who knows you knows your superpower. And the thing about a superpower is that most people don't know. They don't recognize it because they just do what they do and they go, I don't know. I just do it. Well, okay. But don't you know that nobody else can do that as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and they don't get it. So my point, I guess, with that conversation is, is that is, and I haven't had the opportunity to read your book, but I definitely will. Uh, do you actually have a conversation with your clients or within the book? Even do you talk about superpowers? Do you say, you know, and do you give some examples of superpowers? I do. And, and I actually help them. So the, the book is a little bit like a workshop in a book. Yep. It's the old college professor in me. I can't help it. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Homework. But in the book, I take you through exercises to discover your superpowers. And part of that is exactly what you talk about on that podcast, which is ask the people around you because they know. But on the flip side of that, you're also going to take an honest inventory and you're going to have them tell you what your superpowers are not. <laughs> yes. Because we may not have full awareness around that. And I, and I think of these like talent shows that you see on TV and it's like, oh, who told you you could sing? No, that's, that wasn't very kind, you know? And, and it's for ratings and all those things. But the bigger issue is there is no self-awareness. And to really be able to sell a brand, you have to have that self-awareness of how the rest of the world is perceiving you. And if you don't have that or you're tone deaf to it, you're never going to sell never going to be able to do it. You know something I am, I was for a long time, very tone deaf to my superpowers. Really, really bad. My wife used, Stephanie used to just, it drove her crazy, like exasperation trying to get it through to me. And I, and that's, that was, well, it wasn't that long ago, but it was back then it was a history. But the point of it is, is that when I found for me, and I'll just 
for me, and I and I think this would resonate with many, is when you start to say your superpowers or state your superpowers out loud, it seems a little bold. It seems maybe a little, uh, I don't know what the word is, I, I, I don't know, vain, conceit, maybe some of those words would play into that. Yeah. And some people have trouble owning, I know I did, my superpower. And it's like, well, yeah. and I would go, it's not that big a deal. That was my life. I go, what? There's nothing special about that. And, you know, people would look at me and go, dude, you're going to make us crazy, you know. But having said that, I also knew my weakness. They pointed that out. Oh, they're such a great team. They went around the table and like they <laughs> slam, slam, slam. Like, oh, oh, oh. But you know something? I shifted. I changed because of that. Right. You know, but it was hard. It was really hard. It's funny that you say that, though, because it really is that level of self-awareness that you have to have to be able to know how to get where you want to go. And without that, we're a little bit flying in the dark. But the the, the conceited narcissist thing, I have to I have to comment on that because it's very funny when people think that their work is speaking for itself. Or of course, everyone sees me, right? Well, they see that I'm doing all of this and I'm putting together this group and, you know, I'm doing all the research to find the buildings we're going to invest in and all, you know, they're doing all the things. But if you really think about it, it's less narcissistic to actually say, my goal is to help this happen and here's how I'm working on it. Versus you just doing the work and then expecting everybody to know how awesome you are. Right. Well, <laughs> you're yeah. actually thinking about that. They're like thinking about you 24 seven. It's not happening. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, it is an interesting conversation to have. You know, I can walk into certain situations now in meetings and or conversations where I go, well, the good news is I'm really good at that. I got that. I can handle that. This piece over here, not so good at that, you know, get one of the other team to, to look after that. But here's what I'm really great at. And I'm 100% confident I got this, right? But there was a time years ago where I couldn't have done that. I just didn't, you know, to your point, I didn't have the self-awareness and probably even the confidence to, no, I don't think I even knew it. I, I just wasn't aware of it. So anyway, superpowers. So your book is literally a little bit of a workbook or a lot of a workbook where you're going to have to put pen to paper or something. You're going to have to do the work and answer the questions and uh, step out of your comfort zone of really, you, you think you have a brand. But most, I don't know, Dr. Cindy, here's my thoughts. Most people don't understand that you have to create a brand intentionally. Very few people have a gifted brand. You have to be very intentional about it. And it's funny because I have, you know, the three sections of the book are create the brand, live the brand, sell the brand. Mm -hmm. And it is that creation piece. Mm -hmm. And it's because... You know, they think, well, you know, if I'm not a celebrity, I don't need it. Yeah, you do, because you are already making this impression on everyone around you. So is it really the intention? And I see this with people who have been passed over for promotions or haven't gotten the funding they wanted, and they don't understand why. And it's because they're missing a key component of their brand, or they haven't sold the brand. They haven't created the trust so they can sell it so people want to invest. And, and what I giggle about in that regard is... I, we've all been there, right? I didn't know my superpowers. You didn't know your superpowers, but we were willing to do the work. Mm -hmm. And the key is if you are willing to do the work, it is a workbook, essentially, you know, you've got to take the time to do that. But if there's anything that is standing in your way of getting more of what you want in your life, I would invite people to examine their brand. Mm -hmm. It's playing into it, whether they realize it or not. You know, I love these conversations because I have them quite a lot, different different context, I guess, in some regards. But 
it's such an important conversation for people to have that want to get ahead. You know, uh, Stephanie, who's an Olympic coach, talks a lot about, or we've had conversations where everybody wants the gold medal. Everybody wants the successful business. Everybody wants the outcome, but they're not willing. This goes back to what you just said. Are you willing to do what it takes to get that outcome? And yeah. most people want the outcome. They're just not willing to do the work. And what part of the work is, is really creating who you need to be in the context of your brand and living that. I think I heard that you say that it's the, the process of living your brand, becoming it. But you design it. It's, 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 it's a creative process to say, how do I want to show up? Who do I want to be? And that's just, a, I, I love that conversation because I think it is so important for people, especially those who are saying, "Now nah, I don't sell, or I don't need to sell, or I, I don't sell, you know? And they're also the same, often the same people who are probably not really happy with their income. They're not happy with the business that they're doing, or they're not happy with their job. And this is all part of it. Yeah. And I would tell those people, you are selling though. And that's mm -hmm. the problem. You are absolutely selling you're selling either the wrong thing or you're selling it the wrong way. And so recognizing that that sale is already occurring. People are buying a version of you already mm -hmm. and getting where you want to go. It's probably because of one of those things. And I look at sort of the personal branding aspect as, you know, if you take a brand of a company or you take a brand of a product, it's all the things. You have a game plan for how you're going to bring it to market. You know the target audience. You know the people that are going to help you. You know the best opportunity to bring it there. It's the same thing if you're looking for investing or you're doing something. You're looking for all these pieces, but you had a plan to start with. Mm -hmm. You're creating, when you're creating the, the brand, that's the plan. Well, you know, I just love the conversation. I'm sorry, I'm all over it because it's it's interesting. I look back, you know, I've been in business many, many years and I think about the number of people who I've seen as talented, who have some ability. I'm often the first, I, I go into coach mode easily. And so I want to help them <laughs> and, and, you know, I want to help them, but then I see their resistance to wanting to show up differently. So it's one thing to have the skills. And the reason I bring that up is I think about uh, people I've had conversations with over the past three or so years of COVID that jobs, to your point, jobs are shifting, changing. Uh, they want to shift. They want to change their job. And they're looking or they're looking for a promotion. They're looking for a different position. They believe totally that they're they're qualified that they deserve the promotion. But how often do you see as a coach and as an author, the key is this, is that you're maybe listening and talking to that person and you're going, yeah, you're, you're just not the brand. You don't, you're not representing yourself well. I would venture to say 95% of the time, that's what happens. And I'm the same as you. I go into coach mode in a second because I'm addicted to helping people. Yeah, so. yeah stranger on a plane and they tell me their problems. I'm like, oh, I <laughs> let me fix you. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I totally get it. But, yeah. but I love that. I love being able to help people. Yeah. One of my superpowers is helping, right? Mm -hmm. I love help people get what they want to help companies grow. But what's funny is in that moment, it is that willingness to be uncomfortable, <laughs> willingness to look in the mirror and do that honest inventory of this is the way I think I'm showing up. Clearly I'm not. And these are the things I have to do for it. And, and I was literally on the phone today with a potential client and we were talking about his sales team. He runs an insurance company. We're talking about his sales team. And he said, they want the success of a 20 year career in 20 days. Yes. 
And, and I said, that's the problem is, you know, they want, and people look at someone who's successful in sales and they say, oh my gosh, Patrick, you, you know, you've done this for so long. It's like, yeah, I was, you know, I tell people jokingly, I was a 29, 20 year overnight success. Mm, <laughs> like, sure. You didn't see all the things that went into that. It's the same thing with your personal brand. Not everybody is going to see all the things that you're doing. You have to elevate those facets so they see this is where you're headed. And especially if you're doing some kind of a pivot. If you're moving, people like to compartmentalize you and leave you in that file. <laughs> so if you're moving from being a realtor to an investor, running you know different kinds of companies, or if you're building out a team, you've got to sell that part of the brand because everybody goes, no, 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 but you, you do this and you're so good, you stay here. This is where I like you and you're in this file. No, no, you want to move. You're going to need those people's help. You're going to need people's support. You have to sell them on the idea. You know, there's a psychology, I think, to selling in this context that we're talking about here today and brand and, you know, really paying attention to how you're showing up, you know, maybe even creating your own ethos and understanding what that could even represent. And, you know, there's a psychological barrier that I see because we often talk about people that are trying or are having difficulty making a decision. And because this is a decision, you have to decide. And I was the other day, I actually came across, I, I don't know that I'd ever even looked up the definition of a decision. And I, I think I did, and, I, and I'm probably not doing it any justice, it's, uh, but it basically is letting go. It's to let go and or rip away. And it's interesting is that people who are going, you know, shifting their brand, the decision is tough because they're having to let go of what they're comfortable with, what they know. And of course, they have to be prepared to step into what they're going to call the judgment of friends, family, peers, and others. Completely. And it's funny because in the book, there is an exercise about can't decide. <laughs> and that's <laughs> and then I, I pose five questions to help you. And then it takes you to your core values and figuring out that ethos piece. So, so th that is the kind of that workshop piece. But what's funny about that is people have to be comfortable with the unfamiliar. And I don't necessarily call it a comfort zone. I call it a familiar zone because you might not actually like where you are. Mm -hmm. Pushing against that in this moment. And you're going to be pushing out of that to be able to grow. It's like, you know, the plant moving out of the pot kind of a thing. But people have to recognize in, in their own personal brand and where they're maybe struggling in the parts of their brand to get others to buy into it. It's because they didn't make a conscious choice about it to begin with. And if you're selling two brands, they're competing with one another. And I have a story about that in the book where people don't know where to put you. So they don't know how to help. And if they want to help you, they want to support you, but they're just unsure. And they don't have the trust that you really mean you want to do this because I see you doing this and this and this. They don't know how to help. So interesting. You know, as I think about my own journey, you know, I'm north of 60 now and I'm looking at it and I'm going, I think I'm always trying to, I don't know, I'm not going to say reinvent myself. That would be a stretch, but I'm always looking at how can I improve my brand? It's always there. And, you know, I've recently even recently, like literally have had some interesting insights into myself and some habits I've got to change, some ways of being that I have to improve on or shift around. And, you know, so I think it's a journey that once you're on it and once you've traveled that path, you don't know another way. And that's absolutely true. And it's funny because that's sort of like that second section of the book is the living part. 
we're living and I could have easily called that section learning. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's both. It's you're living this and you're realizing how it's received in different places. And you and I have been on stages with many different people in the audiences and you're reading the room and you're seeing and you're elevating different facets of your brand given where you are and how you're connecting with people. That was all selling, but it was because of the feedback we were getting in that moment. And if we're not looking for that feedback constantly, that's also what makes us tone deaf to some of the things that maybe aren't working. And I wrote a blog about this not that long ago, but why you're not getting promoted. Right. You're just not aware of what pieces of you are out there and the narratives out there, and you've got to control the narrative. And that's part of you living it and learning is you've got to change those perceptions. That's part of the role that you have of selling your brand. Got to make sure everybody is the advocate for the brand you mean to be out there. Okay. So I think I have an answer to the question I'm going to ask you, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot (laughs) at all. (laughs) But no, but you know, I'm going to be the kind of the, you know, I won't call it the devil's advocate, but I'm going to be the person that's kind of going, yeah, why do I need to do all this? What, why do, why do I do all this? I mean, yeah, I'll get the promotion. Who cares? But I mean, give me a little bit of depth into, you know, even some of your own clients, what came out of this, what has shown up or what do you see as a result of, you know, really doing this work? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is if you don't care, recognize that that is part of your brand. Mm. <laughs> selling the apathetic brand. Sure, good answer. (laughs) If if that's what you want, go for it. Stay there. Perfect. Doing a good job. (laughs) Yeah, how's it working for you? Okay. Yeah, but if it's working for you, it's totally fine. But if you are trying to advance, if you are trying to move your, your place in the world, that is the effort of this. And so where I've seen this is anytime there's someone in transition, I coach so many people through transition in their business life. And then I do some personal coaching, but it's mainly in the business space. Somebody was a sales rep, now they're a sales manager. Somebody was a manager, now they're an owner. Somebody now merged two companies, they're merging a culture. Somebody is now gathering people and they're going to have to pitch to investors. You know, there's all these transition times and that's where I tend to coach people. And what I have to help them understand is the person that got you here is not the person that audience is expecting to see. Mm. Great sales rep, now you literally have to flip a switch and be a great sales manager. (laughs) And and so think about what you want that legacy to be and helping them to recognize that so they know what what pieces of that brand to elevate. And I have seen so many successful stories, which I'm very, very honored to have been a small part of those journeys. But I've also seen the ones that didn't work because they couldn't keep it up. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the motor to keep it up. And so that's the other thing I would tell people is, if you are going in this direction, this is a this is a decision to leave other pieces of yourself behind. I love that definition. I, I've never looked that up either. That's great. But you got this is full steam ahead. That train is leaving the station. You got to be ready to keep it up. Well, I think there's a part of it when I hear you know where you never will have a problem keeping it up is if you're being true to yourself, because that's the key to all of this. And I think there's a great message in that that we need to put a pin in, which is. We're not, this isn't like fake it till you make it. This is actually self-examination. This is really looking at who you are and then discovering maybe some aspects of yourself so that you are in fact true to yourself. You know, there's a, there's, you said something that reminded me of whatever the quote was, and and I'm probably not doing it justice at all, which is, you know, what got you here isn't going to get you to where you need to go. And so wherever you want to go, if it's not where you're at, 
then you have to say, what do I have to do differently? How do I have to show up differently? And, you know, in, in the context that we're talking about today, I love it is that, you know, really, it, you know, putting it, giving yourself a brand or holding the space for you creating a brand for yourself is just a great context, a great box to play in. And I would never tell you to create a brand that isn't you because you're not going to be able to keep it up. You're not going to have the, the energy to do it and, and fake it. And that's also where people go off brand is they, they got a brand that was too big for them. And then they're like, Oh, I can't do it. And people will ask me, you know, how do I make sure I, I continue to reinforce this? You know, leaders have bad days. Everybody does. We're human. Right. But it's making sure that that face you're putting to the world. You and I both know this. There were days when we've been on stages in front of hundreds of people where, you know, the night before we were sick as a dog with a cold mm -hmm. or something, but you're going to put that suit on. You're going to get up on that stage and you're going to do the thing because they're looking to see you. Right. And, and that's the brand that we're selling. People recognize that. And could you have a bad day? Of course. Are we human? Of course, but it's, how you want them to remember you and being willing to make the sacrifice to keep that brand going. And on the day when it's not going to be there, stay home that day. <laughs> it's okay. You need a break. It's there's a story in the book about a, a newscaster. His name is Sean and he calls his radio broadcast person, Sean plus 10%. <laughs> That's great. Totally true. And, yeah. and I totally resonate with that. I'm yeah. sure you do too. And he's like, when I can't be Sean plus 10%, then I stay home and I watch football. And I'm like, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, I often use the phrase that the difference between good and great is only 10%. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting, uh, you know, place to go. I think that what showed up for me and because of the research, I, I think you've probably done when we look at this conversation about brand and really being who you are. So being true to yourself, you know, the audience is a you know a range of demographics, but when you look at, for example, what we're seeing on social media, now I know you've had the experience, I've had it. I mean, I see people that I know who on social media, they're putting stuff out there and I'm going, that is yeah. such bullshit. You know, like I can barely stand it. Like I, I either unfollow, I unfriend, I ignore, I can't take it. It just pushes my buttons. But anyways, that's an aside, but the, it really does state you know, to me, it, it's a statement of being cautious that you're not being influenced to the degree that, oh, I want to be that guy or that girl. It really is. And gosh, now I just think about the pronouns. No, no, that person, <laughs> we we have to be really cautious, I think. No, I don't, I don't. I'm not cautious at all. My point is that we have to be really aware of that's not necessarily the qualities that we have that we can embrace. Just be who we are and then really deliver off of that. And I, I talk a lot about that in the book and I'm sales, not marketing. I would say social media is marketing, but we have to remember that's everybody's highlight reel. Come on. Like yeah. that, that's the best place of the game, right? It's, it's what they want to put out there, but also recognizing that whatever you put out there, you can't actually take back. You don't know who put a screenshot of that. You don't know who shared it. You don't. So monitoring that as well, that is part of your brand and you've got to protect your brand. You've got to defend your brand and recognizing that, Whatever you're posting, and there are there are hundreds of stories out there in the world of people who destroyed their brand and got fired because of something they posted or whatever. The world is a very small place. We are very interconnected, and knowing that. But but I I laugh about sort of you know the highlight reel is not real. Yeah. But argue for those people, they're selling against themselves by doing that because they're not being true to the brand. They're they're in combative 
Doesn't make sense. So, yeah. so let's, let's talk, let's go, I'm going to go down a little different path here. You know, Dr. Cindy, you've, uh, you're here, you've, you know, you've been around doing what you've, you're doing for a long time and you've written the book, but let's talk about how you got here. I mean, you know, you're educated, you're, you know, you're passionate about what you're doing. Tell me a little bit about your background. I'm always curious, you know, is that, is it nature or is it nurture? So I can't help it. I go back to tell me a little bit about your growing up. Were your parents entrepreneurial? Uh, were they scholastic, given that you've got doctor in front of your name? I love that, by the way. I got a buddy of mine who's Dr. Don. He's a chiropractor. And uh, we have lots of fun. And he's and he's really, talk about brand. There's a guy who's just done a brilliant job of being himself, but different conversations. So let's go back to what I'm saying about you. How did you get to where you are today, you know, what was the influence of your parents? So my dad was gone a lot. It was just my dad and I mostly, and he was gone a ton. He was working and and I was sort of solo. And my rebellious nature was that I was going to be a good student, which now I'm looking back, I'm like, well, that was a terrible rebellion. <laughs> that was my rebellion was I'm going to show you, you know? So I, I have older brothers and sisters. They were all out of the house by then. And and I've thought a lot about this, actually, because where did that come from? Where did those pieces come from? And I think it was that I knew I had this passion to help. And so I thought I was going to be a teacher. You know, I went through this whole thing of I was going to be a college professor. And then I was like, oh, wait, maybe 18 to 22 year olds are not my jam. I want to go talk to, to the, the business world. And then as I got into that, I got pushed into a sales role. And I, I literally thought I was going to get fired. I'm like, there's no way I can do this job. I'm not a salesperson. Six months into this, I went, how in the world do I have a PhD in communication and I was never taught sales? I went to good schools. I, I had great education. There's a hole in the curriculum. And so that started a whole nother path. You want to talk about a rebrand, right? <laughs> it was a college mm -hmm. professor, then a consultant, then moved to an author because I had to tell people this story. And I went, if I have a PhD in communication and I did not learn sales skills, who else doesn't know this secret? Like they've got to know this. And then that led me to talking about personal branding with people and helping people to realize you're selling yourself already and you're selling the wrong thing. And that's why you're not getting what you want. So it's this sort of helpaholic in, within me that started at a very young age of I'm, I want to, I want to help. I want to help. I want to help. And that's what brought me here. Well, I guess, you know, when you look at, you know, your, your comment earlier, you know, your rebellious nature, then you, <laughs> you see a gap and you go, hold it, there's a gap here. I got to fill this gap. I'm going to get all over it. And you're going to, you know, stand on top of a mountain and yell about the gap that you want to fill and, you know, start to uh, go down that path of supporting people because you see the gap. Now, in your kind of in your business, have you always been in this business? Is this something, is this your first business? Is this your second, your fifth year? How, how's your journey been along all of this? So same helpaholic nature, right? So I, I, a lot of your, your audience will recognize this. I started my business in the end of 2008, right? When the crash happened. And I said, I go help people make money. I know how to do this. So I quit my job and I started a company launched in early 2009 to help companies to grow. And in that journey, and I've had this company ever since, so we're coming up on 14 years almost. And then in that, it evolved. And, and with the pandemic, people needed more skills development. So I developed an online academy, which funny enough, that was actually my idea 14 years ago, but it wasn't quite ready. People weren't quite ready for online learning. So that led to that. And then there's books in the meantime. So it's always been, I, I think at the core, I'm still a teacher. 
I still want to help people with the lessons that I, I'm learning. And as I learn, I want to share that. And that's really where it comes from is just the minute I learn something, I'm like, okay, I got to help people. I got to help them know this too. You know, well, and I'm sure you've dug into that over the years of what the nature is, the drive is to to help people. But, you know, I want to go back to something, you know, in building, you know, because you talk about your online business and it was a little bit early. I mean, 14 years ago, it's still pretty early. You know, what have you experienced or when you think about brand, but when you even think about your business today? I mean, I think we can all agree the world has shrunk and it's shrunk primarily because of technology. Here I am sitting in the comforts of my office. You're sitting in the comforts of your office in a totally different city in a totally different you know, part of North America. I mean, what is it meant to you, number one, on the business side of what you do? And then what do you see it even for some of your clients? So what was interesting when the pandemic happened, our clients kind of freaked out a little bit because they were like, wait a minute, now we have these hybrid teams, we're virtual, what do we do? I actually started the company almost 14 years ago as a virtual company in the same place. And we're a bunch of consultants, you gotta get on a plane to go to work, I mean, live where you wanna live, right? So, <laughs> so it's fine by me. But they, they were struggling, a lot of our clients were struggling with that because they're like, how do we do this? How do we manage them? How do we keep the culture? And I'm like, we got this, what do you wanna know? So we shifted towards a lot of leadership development and those kinds of things. And as the world shrinks, I think we learn from each other. You know, we've been using Zoom for many, many years, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, we had a very small fraction of our clients that were willing to do it. Now everybody's on do it, you know, on Zoom. And now we wish that we'd use the phone someday. So, yeah, totally. <laughs> so it's, as the world is shrinking, I think we learn more from each other. And I think as the world is evolving and as we're kind of, moving through this economy and the changes in the economy, it's an opportunity to observe where we came from, what we're learning now, what we need to learn to bring ourselves to the next level. And that's always my goal is to be like, I say two car lengths ahead, you know, my crystal ball is on back order, I guess, but I, I try to I try to do the two car lengths ahead to be able to help people and say, okay, I think the, the rebrand is going to come let me do something to fix that. Let me do something to help. So when you look around the world today, and I know this is a little bit off topic, and, and I'll, I'll come back around, Dr. Cindy, but, you know, you're in San Francisco. You know, you look at what's happening economically. You look at the headlines. You look particularly, I mean, gosh, what's going on in the U.S., particularly what's going on in, you know, California and all the conversations that they've got going on there. I mean, are you seeing the degree of, I guess, the sky is falling headlines or the sky is falling narrative or, and, and your clients are at the effect of that as well. Or how are you kind of viewing the world? Because you come, you know, you come at it, uh, you know, very optimistic, full of energy, but in behind the scenes, and especially, you know, given the part of the country that you live in, what are you kind of, what, what's, are you operating on top of anything? Yeah. So it's very funny that you say that because I have probably sent, 50 emails in the last couple of months about stop saying to your team, the sky is falling. It's not. <laughs> so literally those words. And I think these are the times where it's a time for leadership. I think this is a time for you to steal market share. I think, you know, while everybody's pulling back and putting their head in the sand, this is your chance, but you have to be bold. You have to be brave and you have to be willing to be uncomfortable to do it. And that's so much of our coaching with our clients right now. And as the world evolves and the economy evolves and changes are happening, I mean, you know, I'm the gal that quit my job in 2008. <laughs> so, you know, I, 
I guess I was like, yeah, well, you know, I'm in sales. If it doesn't work, I'll go get a job. But I think that this shifting economy is actually an opportunity for people if they're willing to be brave enough to take it. And we've got some clients that, you know, they're like, hey, we're doubling down. We're going to hire salespeople. We're going to get out there. I've got other people that are going, I'm looking for investments. I'm looking for people to buy. I'm looking for companies. I'm looking for buildings. I think that's the entrepreneurial spirit. And this is your moment. But your brand feeds into that. Did you plan appropriately to be ready to take care of this opportunity and take advantage of it? And if you didn't, you got to get to work fast. You know, it's interesting that, you know, there's a response, you know, the fight, flight or freeze response that happens in times of, you know, challenges. And of course, we see a lot of people sitting on the sidelines, kind of frozen, waiting for something to happen. And, you know, there's a part of what happens in all this bad news scenario. So first off, you know, when when the market, when every when COVID and we got locked down in the middle of March 2020, you know, we literally two weeks later were having live event meetings. We I mean, I had an international team that we were on Zoom, you know, two years, three years prior to that. So like Zoom and all of the back, you know, the the whole the dashboard, the horsepower and behind the scenes, we were already there. So we literally pivoted the next weekend kind of thing and uh, had some great events. Now that's all to say this is that we see a lot of people sitting on the sidelines and this is kind of my philosophy. I want your perspective. That's why I'm giving you this long-winded kind of conversation. So I'm seeing this and I'm looking at it and everybody started to hate the new normal, the new normal, the new normal. What's the new normal? And a lot of people are going, I hardly wait to get back to where it was. Well, we know we're not going back there. Uh, and there is this thing about a new normal. And uh, also that phrase is not used as much anymore. At least I'm not hearing it as much. And I'm fairly dialed in, I think. But the point is that right now it's like people are waiting for an event. Like something's going to happen and the world's going to fall off a cliff. And I realized for me that I was starting to look at it that way, just, you know, the inundated of the research I do and just all the things that happens with our research team. But it's all to say this, what I got to is this, it isn't going to be an event. There could be some events, you know, there could be even a black swan. We don't know. But really what is the new normal is the fact that, Russia, Ukraine, they're going to fight for a long time. China, India, deglobalization, these are all things that are actually happening. They're not happening overnight. They are in a process. And it's up to us as leaders to look into the future of what's happening, not be shut down by it, but say, okay, let's navigate because in every, every bit of chaos that happens on a global scale, a national scale, it doesn't matter. There's opportunities that emerge if you're wired to say, hold it, get rid of the crap, because in amongst all that is where opportunities live. And I mean, we look at, uh, we go back to uh, 9-11 as an example. We go back to what just happened with the COVID lockdown. I mean, there are so many opportunities that have come out of this. And although it's a little challenging at times to see the light through all of the clutter and the darkness, that's how I see it. That's my conversation how are you seeing it and and what are your clients, you know, how are you guiding your clients in that, Dr. Cindy? So I see it through a very similar lens. I see this as the, the opportunity. And I have said to many clients and potential clients over the last couple of months, I can give you a gas pedal or I can give you a bucket of sand. The mm -hmm. choice is yours. <laughs> and we're the gas pedal, bucket of sand. You do what you do. You stay there, you freeze and ride this out. But I think what people have to recognize is the economy is cyclical. 
what goes up comes down, then it goes back up. Like, this is not new. This shouldn't have been a surprise. Granted, there were world events and some horrible things that happened and all sorts of stuff. But when we look at just from an economic standpoint, there was quite a wave <laughs> that was being written. Real estate agents, you know, there was sure. all these things, right? We knew this was cyclical. We knew it was going to come down. What did we do to prepare? And that's where I, I think where our one of our superpowers as a company is we do try to see those two car lengths ahead. We say, okay, well, wait, what are you saving for the rainy day? How are you, you know, working on your staffing? What are you doing to winterize early? How are the things that we're doing this? So that's the advice that we're giving our clients. But what we're also saying is seek the opportunity that you can take advantage of in this moment. Like so often in the organizations we work in, they'll have salespeople and they think, well, that's their job. I would argue that every job is a sales job, right? So what are you doing to mobilize the internal people to make your current customers happier, to make your potential customers want to come back, to make your current customers want to send you referrals? What are the things you're doing to differentiate yourself? How are you using the time you have, this quote, downtime, to make things more robust? And if you're not, why not? Because that's a choice. And so that's just a couple of things that we're working on with our clients, but it again is is the lens you look at it through and whether you're willing to say there is opportunity here it is interesting right you know if you're frozen you know i know in you know my years of business you know which i'm touching 38 years of that i've been a business owner and self-employed i've gone through highs and lows made lots of mistakes for sure and you know learned from them and kept moving on the point is, is that there's, you know, an old phrase I heard, I don't even know if it's appropriate, but it was in, you know, the, the phrase was, in God we trust, but tie up your camel, which always meant to me, you know, is that pay attention in that, yes, you can trust the universe, you can trust God or whatever you might believe in, but it's still your responsibility to risk mitigate. It's still your responsibility to lock the doors in your car. You know, it's, these are things that uh, even in times like this is that all of that is out there. Don't be blind to it. You know, in the past couple of years, of course, anybody who is in real estate was a freaking genius. And now of course, <laughs> rates are going up and everybody's going, oh, I'm an idiot. So I've seen these cycles many times over the years. We joke about it all the time. I wanna go back and talk about leadership. And, you know, one of the things in the in your book and you talk about leadership, I think for me, I don't think there's a natural born leader. I think leaders train themselves or they hone those skills. But I, I get very I'm often surprised by my guests. They're like, I mean, some pretty astute guests like yourself. And then I don't know what your answer is, by the way. But for me, leadership Maybe I'm just not that smart. I have to hone my skills. Like I have to be focused on being a good leader. I it's what I read, it's what I listen to, it's what I try. What's your experience when it comes to, you know, aside from the brand building side of it, but when you're coaching your clients, you know, what's what are you seeing with some of your more successful uh clients? Well, so I believe there's a huge difference between management and leadership. So I want to kind of give a, a definition because I think they're both really important. I think the management side is more the process stuff. And I think the leadership side is the people side. So I think that you can have a natural knack for the job itself, but how good are you at sort of peopling? <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think that that's a skill set that you hone. And you have to continually hone that. That is a saw that must continually be sharpened. Your people are constantly changing. Their why is constantly changing. You know, there's all these things in the news right now about quiet quitting and quiet firing. 
I don't know that I believe it or disagree with it, but I think it's interesting because it's leadership that I would say is part of this thing. Like we have to make sure leaders are truly leading. So I do agree with you that there is definitely a skill set that is honed in there. But I would say there is something innate in a leader that makes them a leader and not just a manager. And I do think that might be born, which is the desire to mm. I think that has to be within you. Good answer. I think I teach you the other things. You got to want to do it, though. Oh, good answer. Okay, that's good. That's a perspective that hadn't been offered to me before. Good answer. Okay, Thanks. you pass. You pass. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that I've discovered over the years, and I think this is still plays into the brand narrative, is, you know, one of the things that I pride on myself on is I don't have you know, I've got three different businesses and, and regardless of what's happened economically, I don't turn over staff historically. I, I just really don't. And, and it's not to say that we haven't, it's just that it's, you know, I've got staff and one of my businesses has been with me 25 years and 15 years. And, you know, and I think that comes from two words that I often use, and that is environment and culture. And, you know, really creating and making sure that the team is aligned. And one of the exercises I do with my team, and I, I pretty much do it every year sometimes, depending on if I've added to the team or not, is you define the culture. You know, I'm not working in the office with you. I'm not working in the business with you. So my leaders, my managers, and the team have to collectively, and I mean right everybody sits down and has a conversation. What kind of culture do we want and what kind of environment do we want to work in? And I'll give you an example of that just for listeners. When I talk about environment, I'm talking about, you know, is, you know, if, if, is the lunchroom clean? Is the standard that we hold, that lunchroom is clean, last person to use a glass, wash it, set it on the counter. You know, that's, that's the rule, right? Yeah. That also creates a culture that we're not in this alone. We're collaborating. We're understanding and respecting the other. That's culture. So those two, we have a very definitive exercise. And I go through, you know, sometime all day having conversations. And I'll tell you what, we've reinvented the culture a number of times, you know, and it's probably the most powerful exercise that I do uh, from my perspective. But when you talk about from your perspective in a brand, um, how do you approach that, Dr. Cindy? So I love that you do that. First of all, just, I think that's really cool. And we're big on culture here as well. And, and like one of our, our values is that we take fun seriously. That's literally one of our core values. And so I think we live that brand. We are a group of very snarky people that are very humorous. <laughs> there are dad jokes flying. Like it's just, that's part of our culture mm -hmm. as, as a virtual company. So I think that that's a huge piece of leadership that, you have to give your people enough freedom to be themselves and bring their whole selves to work and create a culture that they feel safe, you know, doing these things. But when it comes to branding, like your own brand, I do think with a leader, they're watching not only what you say, not only the survey that you're doing, not only the exercise, but they're watching how you're exhibiting that as well. And they're watching, are you seeing something in the lunchroom when you are there the two times a year and you you know, pick up that wrapper off the floor? Are they seeing? And I think that sometimes leaders don't pay attention to the fact that they are watching you more than you think, even if you're not physically there. The emails have tones, the, you know, voicemail has a tone, the video message. 
all of those things are contributing to that culture. And they're either building it up or, and I'm going to be very bold and say this, they're tearing it down because those are the only two choices. You're not maintaining it. You're either building it or building it or pulling against it. You know, what's interesting about what you just said, uh, there's lots of in, about what you just said, but what's to me, what stands out in all of that is that when you define the culture, there's a couple of things that, number one, the devil's in the details, right? You really have to, it's the nuances that make the difference. Because as soon as somebody's out of line with that, it's like that, you know, that kind of stone or that pebble in your shoe, right? It gets really irritating. And after a while, it gets really painful. And then you got to take that shoe off and get rid of it. And it's interesting when we talk about brand and when we kind of are sitting down and considering adding somebody to the team, I think the clearer we are on the culture, the clearer we are on the environment, the different way we ask questions, because aside from the talent somebody might have and the skills that they bring to the table, you know, it's, it's the age of, you know, it's like, we can't fire him. He's the best sales guy on the team. He's doing like this, right? <laughs> yes, but he's an asshole. He's got to go, right? <laughs> right? So it's it's that, right? So when you create a, a brand and a container that is really focused on values and culture, environment, it changes how you hire. And it should change how you hire. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, you know, should everywhere. But like, yeah. I really do believe that because... If you're not living that, that is going against your own leadership legacy. You are actually selling the wrong thing to your people. And when you don't address, I call those prickly people, mm -hmm. <laughs> like you have that prickly person and you're holding on to them because they were the best salesperson or because they're the subject matter expert, but they hate everyone and should never be allowed to talk to another human. That's tearing the fabric of your culture. And it's also tearing away your leadership legacy because your non-action is still a sales thing you are still selling something with your non-action. And I think people forget that. And I'll tell you the funniest story. So most of our team members have come from someone on our team that knows someone else. And they're like, oh, we got a place for this. I got a guy, I got a gal, it's great. And last person that joined our team was someone that came through through someone we knew. He was hired, he doesn't even know this. And when he listens to this podcast, he'll laugh. He was hired before his interview. And the reason he was hired before his interview is because he completely picked up on the nuances of the culture in the emails to schedule the interview. Mm. He's got it. She's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in. He was dropping funny like lines from movies. I was like, oh, you fit here great. <laughs> but you know, that's so interesting. And I think there's something in all of that is if we're going to speak into the values of where we want to go, we have to understand what those values are. So he obviously shared those same values. Otherwise he wouldn't have even seen them. He would have probably looked at it and go, oh, this is, these guys are weird, yeah. but I'll apply anyways. <laughs> but no, yeah. he goes, oh, this is cool. If they want to play that game, I'm all in. And he plays that game. So, you know, it's interesting that the more we wear our values on our sleeve and, and wear them in our brand, the more likely we are to very effectively and efficiently even create the flow of not only business, but team that align with those values. And the, the people who don't align, well, quite frankly, they're no good as clients anyways, and or they're, right. we're, they're working, they're just too hard to work. And I'm sure you find that even in your coaching, we say, you know, we're coaches, not coaxes, you know, we're not here to coax you, we're here to coach you. So yeah. you got to do it and understand that. And then of course, when you're hiring people, you then are attracting the people that want to work with you in the context of those, those very values. 
It, it is so true. And it's interesting, like the coach coax. I love that, by the way. I, I often say I'm a coach, not a counselor. Because yeah. like it, it spans that line too. But when you're truly attracting that, it, it builds itself to a degree, but it's your job to maintain it, right? And you're building that brand. And I actually wrote a blog not that long ago about the difference between your company brand and your personal brand. And they get very confused. Mm-hmm. Both. They have to coexist harmoniously and more than harmoniously complementary to one another. And when you're leading that, you know, that team or that brand, or you're assembling that team, it's recognizing how you're selling who you are and what you want those team members to be. My goal is to, I I joke about this all the time. I'm the dancing chicken. The rest of the team does literally everything else. I do. I'm the dancing chicken. I go and I give the speech and then magic happens elsewhere and I'm not allowed to touch technology. And like, there's all sorts of things. Sure, sure. Of course. I want them to be their best, most powerful selves because as a team, we're so much stronger for that. And I think you build a culture around that. And I think that this is where some leaders make the mistake that we put people in a box and we say, but you live here and you're so good at this. I'm not going to let you grow because that wouldn't be good for me. Mm -hmm. Well, that's an interesting point, right? Is that once you get into that kind of a dynamic where people are afraid that they're going to be left out of the light, if you will, or not have the same job. That can be really, that can shut things down as well. I forgot about that, but that's a really good point that you make. And uh, I think people need to pay attention to it. Now, I want to go off on just, you know, we got some time here, I hope. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the demographics of what you're seeing in the world, because, you know, we see these demographics becoming more and more, I don't know, differentiated, you know, we're talking about 20 year olds and 30 year olds versus boomers and, you know, 40 year olds. When you look at what's happening in the world based on your client base, Dr. Cindy, are you, you know, what, what are you saying to millennials or what are you saying to the, uh, no, I've lost the other ones, club Zedders. I've lost it anyways. But my point is, is that there's so many, and it's really seems the lines seem to be getting really drawn in in the sand. And I, maybe that's just me getting no, old, but that, that's what it seems to me. So I have this conversation at least a couple times a week with clients because there's sort of a complaint or a gripe about the younger generations. And I'm like, I need you to remember that you were them. Mm-hmm. It, we were all them. We were all the, I'm not anymore, but you know, I was the younger generation too, that didn't do it the way the old way did it and all of these things. And it's like, my, my invitation to people is, do you want to go back to carbon paper? Like, was that fun? Because things change. We have to change with it. Yeah. We'll bring innovation, right? And when we're looking at those differences, I think we learn from that. I think you learn from the bottom up, side to side, and top down. And if we're embracing the differences and allowing people to be their most powerful self, and I think we're at that place in business, actually, where it's no longer you know, everybody wears a blue suit. It is embracing the individuality more and the diversity of the team and the ages and, you know, all of these things that makes the team more powerful because you're getting different viewpoints. You're not in an echo chamber anymore, but you've got to be willing to maybe recognize that. Yeah. That person doesn't really check snail mail. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not thing. So we're going to learn to text and it's a give and a take on both sides. And there's a little bit of resistance a lot of times. And, and I think the most dangerous phrase in business is because we've always done it. And I, I, I we've just met and I know you agree with me. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, if that's the way we've always done it, 
okay, then why are we still? Because the times have changed around us. Does it still work? Is it still the most powerful way to make an impact? And if it's not, then let's listen to these other viewpoints. So that generational thing, I think is we have a very big span in our in our organization. We go up to 60s and our youngest is, I think, 23. Yeah. So we, we cover them all. <laughs> it is an interesting dynamic. You know, I think one of, you know, part of my, one of my superpowers and, and is that my ability that, although my team would tease me about my short-term memory the, or the lack thereof, I, or my wife, but my, my point is, is that what I'm able to do very effectively and, and that is, is put myself back to when I was 20 and 30 and 40. And so when I'm talking to either members of the team or members of our community, I can really relate to where they are. I don't have to have a judgment around it. All I have to do is go back there. And I literally, in my mind, time travel and go back to where I was thinking and how I was thinking back when I was 35 or 30 or 40. And because I've got, you know, the age I've got, you know, maybe they call that wisdom. I don't know. You know, I woke up at 60 one time and said, gosh, you know, Maybe I'm supposed. Maybe I'm wiser, and I'm going. No, I'm not wise at all. And I go, oh, that's pretty wise. You know, like I have these conversations about what is wisdom, right? So I think that it's it's something that everybody needs to just sometimes stop and contemplate. You know, there was a time as a boomer, there was a time where I'd be having conversations with people, and they go, oh, I'm never going to. And I think it's part of what was happened in our culture, is. You know, when I grow up or when I'm an adult, I'm never going to I'm never going to be what my mom and dad are or what they did to me and all the trials and tribulations that people had. And I look at them and now in, in these conversations over the years, and I always come back as I listen and I always come back with one question. Did you turn out so bad? Right. <laughs> I love that. It's like, you know. Did you turn out so bad? And they go, yeah, but I, I, I do you know what it took to get me here? I go. It took what it took. If if you if you didn't go through what you went through, you wouldn't be here. So do you not like being here? Is there some place you think you should be? You know, like it, it it's so for me, it's a kind of a narrative that why are you being a victim to your life? You know, like gosh, you know, you turned out pretty good. You know, as yeah. you, you know, as you sit around and drink a hundred dollar bottle of wine, you know, it's like what are you talking about? So anyways, I find these, <laughs> these dynamics very interesting. And, and so I, I, I think that this all goes back to, you know, really sell yourself is understanding yourself and then being really thoughtful and intentional about how you want to show up, who you want to be, what you want to do. Well, and I, I want to underscore that victim piece, because I do talk about that in the book. And I think people don't recognize that they're selling that. Mm. And they're telling those stories. And thankfully, they have a coach like you who's holding up that mirror saying, is life really that bad with your $100 bottle of wine? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> because it looks pretty good from over here. But I think that that's one of those things we have to have that honest inventory for ourselves because they are selling the victim mentality as part of that. And I and I have a, a client who runs a multi-million dollar business very successfully and tells the poor me story. And I keep correcting this person and I saying you are literally running people's dream job and you're telling the poor me story. You're, you're tearing apart at other people's dreams because they're seeing you as the dream. 
you got to think about that narrative. Fascinating, fascinating that uh, they would come to that. There's a book that I often recommend. Uh, no, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to read it, and I recommend it a lot. And Extreme Ownership. Yes, great book. Jocko Wilnick, and it's such a great book. And, you know, I've read it twice. I recommend it. I pick it up every so often when I'm feeling sorry for myself and, you know, read it again. You know, so it's 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 really that. It's just not yeah. being, you know, don't, you know, don't blame, don't complain. But I am guilty. And I had somebody call me out on it on social media once. I was, I don't know, I was doing something. I was commenting, I think, politically on something, which I'm apt to do. But... He called me out for complaining and I went, yeah, but I have the right. I'm a voter. I need to bitch about the politics anyways. So I, I still I still do that. I got to admit that <laughs> I, I do complain about the politics. OK, so, Dr. Cindy, you know, it's been uh, you've blessed us with your time and uh, lots of insights. Really good. And uh, as we wind things down, I always just try and have a little bit of fun with some you know, rapid, not so rapid fire questions. And so you ready to go to work? I'm ready. Okay. Well, this one's an easy one. What book, other than your own, what book are you reading or what's a book that you would like to gift or that you do gift? So I love this book. It's called Straight Talk and it's by Rick Brandon. And it's my, I was an endorser on the book because I loved it so much. He's a consultant, he's a coach, but it is truly, this is how we should be communicating and especially given all the changes in the world and those generational gaps and that we're trying to close, it's fantastic. And it's it's very educational, but very entertaining. It's, it's interesting. It's you, in uh, <laughs> Stephanie has used the term straight talk for years. I don't know if she's read the book or not. I'm going to have to ask her. She reads a lot. Give me the premise of the book because it sounds interesting. Just quickly. So it, it is literally a workshop in a book, but it's basically helping people to have more pointed Direct conversations Direct without... Time. And very much leadership, um, his cool. first book around being politically savvy. It's it's one of those, I think, for leaders, a must read. Okay, I'm on it. Favorite inspirational quote? Do you have one that you can think of? Probably many, but <laughs> does one come to mind? Wow, I do have a ton. Um, one of my favorite ones is actually, uh, and I'm going to butcher it because it's it's I paraphrase it all the time, but it's gratitude is, and having gratitude and not showing it is like having a gift and not giving it. Ah. I'm a gratitude girl. It's one of my favorite things. And I start my morning with that. And it, it's one of those where if I'm ever having that day where I'm feeling sorry for myself, it's like, come on, McGovern, get it, get it together. Another book recommendation, just because you brought it up, and I and I like to throw book recommendations out for people because I think that, you know, you're only as, as good as you read. But anyways, or some version of that. Uh, the Gap and the Gain, which was a, a book that was just released, Benjamin Hardy and... Uh, I'm really bad at names. Uh, it'll come to me. Anyways, the gap in the gain. Uh, he is an absolute icon in the coaching world. He's just, is, he owns and runs a strategic coach, has been around for, you know, he's 79 years old, still going strong, absolutely brilliant. Anyways, the gap in the gain, which he talks about how much we focus on the gap as a type personalities and overachievers. We're always looking at what we didn't achieve as opposed to looking at the gain, this somewhat speaks to gratitude. But as individuals and, you know, business owners, we're always looking at, you know, well, we wanted 30, we only got 22. You know, you know so we're looking at what we didn't get as opposed to the 22 we didn't gain. Granted, it might not have been enough. But the point is, is we have a 
tendency to look at the gap instead of the gain. That book was really profound for me. And uh, one of the, the kind of analogies or metaphors they use is as business owners and entrepreneurs, we're always heading towards the horizon and we're always going to reach the horizon. And of course, it doesn't matter what part of the world you're in, you will never reach that horizon. (laughs) And it was a realization that we look ahead at the horizon wanting to get there and we forget about all the ground we covered or we ignore all the ground we covered. Anyways, the gap in the gain, a recommended reading. So, uh, Sorry, I went off on a tangent again, which I'm I love that, though. likely I love it. to do. Check it out. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the gates, Dr. Cindy? You did good. You did good. You did your job. <laughs> iPhone or so Android? I'm an Android. You're Android. You're not Apple. Isn't that interesting? No, mm. I know, and it's right up the road. <laughs> you're, you're, you're so cool that I would have thought Apple for sure. Okay. <laughs> Your room, your desk, or your car, what do you clean first? Oh, my room. Your room. You like a clean room. Okay. Feng Shui. Feng Shui. Yes, of course. Oh, my gosh. I've heard these before. Okay. Favorite tune or band? Are you a music file or what do you like? So it changes all the time. Uh, depending on what I'm working on, if I'm work- if I'm writing, it's something. It's But I, um, I am a huge, huge, huge Patsy Klein fan. Old school. Oh, no kidding. Hey. Country. Yeah. Same, yeah. Like that, old school. Yeah. That's a little bit of the romantic in you. Look at that. Patsy Klein is that. I, for me, anyways, that's I, I don't listen to Patsy Klein, but I I she's she's awesome. She is very, very good. Cool. Favorite movie. Do you have one? Ooh. Those change around too. You know, one of my favorites that I go to and I watch every single year though is Love Actually. Hmm. Okay. I don't know that movie. Who's in it? Oh my gosh, cast of characters: um, Jude Law, Cameron Diaz. Oh, okay, a, a thousand good, and one actors. But it's, yeah, yeah. It's like five vignettes all in one. And say it again. The ending. Love actually. Love actually. Okay, I don't think I've seen it. I'm pretty sure I haven't. Now, uh, final? No, not the final question. Oh, I was gonna. I'm gonna ask you this one anyways. Favorite swear word. <laughs> Oh man, what is my favorite swear word? I don't even know. You don't have a go-to? I don't know that I have a go-to. Okay. Probably the S word. <laughs> if I have one, I don't think I have a go-to. Okay. Okay. Well, you know something, I, we get it all over the bit. You know, I'm an F bomb. I F bomb all the time, and then sometimes I go through a period. Well, now nah, I got to improve my command of the English language. So you know, and then I have guests that go, I I don't swear. I go, really? My husband teases me because he says I sound like Charlie Brown because I'll say good grief. <laughs> like a swear word. Yeah. Well, that's, so I don't know. Yeah. I guess maybe that's my go-to because yeah. he teases me about it. So maybe that's my word. <laughs> well, that's not so bad. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dr. Cindy, what are you grateful for today? I am grateful for the opportunity to talk with you and talk with your audience and be able to leave hopefully this lesson with folks to help them get more of what they want in their life. Yeah, me too. I'm always grateful for my guests and the opportunity uh, that it creates with this show. And uh, I'm always grateful for my family, my wife and uh, my home, my two dogs, by the way, I have to give a shout out to my two burners. And we have lots of fun. So Dr. Cindy, thank you so much for the time and the energy that you brought to the show today. Very, very appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great fun. Ladies and gentlemen, Thank you for listening. 
If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.